0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. Today, I had a reader request from my Facebook group, um, which you should all be part of, so you get to interact with me more and request what you wanna hear about and um they wanted something on scarcity mindset which means when you think that there's never enough of everything so you act really competitive in order to get the limited resources that are around and i'll talk about how that manifests in relationships and in every which way as soon as i tell you to subscribe because i have a lot of subscriber only episodes that are coming out that are great i must be by 70 around there now um And um, the most recent was about how sometimes when stay-at-home moms are depressed, going back to work can be helpful with that. Um, And loads of other ones, including the famous, infamous oral sex on women. So please do subscribe so that you do not uh, miss the boat on learning so much more about yourself and your partner and your family, etc. All right, so scarcity mindset... um, is a, a big thing in the in the blog in the in the manosphere in the blogs written by men and um, it talks about um, it, what it refers to is kind of the idea that there's never enough and it's specifically usually in in this context talked about in relation to sex so when a man doesn't feel like there are enough women that he will get one or enough sex on offer that he can have sex then he acts in you know kind of uh unhelpful ways uh, which he thinks are helpful and adaptive in order to get the sex but or the women, but um, usually end up not working out and making him feel uh, really insecure, etc. So what's an example in case you've never heard of this? So let's say a man thinks that um, he can barely ever have sex with his wife, only sometimes, and, um, and of course this may be true or it may be less true than he thinks, you know, and I'll talk about that in a bit. But um, if he does think that he only has these very, very few opportunities, then whenever he hugs her or she goes over to kiss him or to hug him or even to say hello or anything. He may try to grab her boob or grab her ass during the hug or whatever. And basically, it's a huge turnoff and makes her feel really like, um, you know, like she can never be close without it turning into sex. Of course, it never really does turn into sex. So then guys are like, why does she always think that? But like, you still don't like having your boobs grabbed. I mean, I don't really think men can understand that because they would love to have their penises grabbed. But I'll tell you, I'm a woman. Women don't like this. You know, if if you're with a woman who really does like this, you're either 25, in which case, thank you for listening. You're a new demographic or um, she's lying or you have a unicorn and should send her like 5,000 roses right now. But the average woman within monogamy as she ages especially does not like this. And most women never like this. So um, so here. So that's an example of how somebody with scarcity mindset who says, I have to I have to grab on literally to this opportunity because it's going to pass me by um, ends up making it less likely, in fact, that he will ever have the opportunity again because she's going to stop hugging him in addition to stop having sex with him. Um, And there are um, ways that most men in couples counseling learn that you actually can have more sex. They involve being nicer, being more vulnerable, being more open, being more uh, assertive and direct. I mean, you know, lots of ways that I talk about, which I can... um, which I could talk about in context of it being the opposite of how guys act with scarcity mindset, which I'll get to. Uh, The way that guys would act when they feel like women don't like them and there's only so few options is, obviously, they go for an option that they don't really want. And they settle for the first woman to give them any attention because they feel like there's so few women to go around and so few women that are ever going to like them. And then, of course, they end up unhappy in their marriage because they always know that they settled and um, they always are pining and yearning for, not maybe specifically other women, although that can happen, but this other kind of life that they could have had where they were in deeper love or had a deeper bond with the woman that they were with versus feeling that they had to pick a woman just based on their limited opportunities. And a lot of guys who have this mindset think of it as like this kind of like uh, economic market related hyper-rational mindset, but invariably it's linked to childhood trauma. And men who are equivalently into econ but don't have childhood trauma usually don't think like this. And so, as you know, if you are an avid listener of the Dr. Psych Mom Show, which everybody needs to be, then um, most things go back to your family of origin because that's where you learn the patterns and the templates with which you make sense of the world. And so why would a person feel like there's never going to be enough? You could pause, pause the podcast, pause it and see if you can guess. If you've been listening for 200 plus episodes, you probably should be able to guess what in your family of origin, what sorts of behaviors by a parent, what sorts of environmental factors would make it more likely that a man would perceive that there are so few and limited opportunities that he must do anything in his power to get them. Go, pause it. All right, I'm back. Should have paused it. So obviously, to me, or should be obvious to you, I bet a lot of you did get this right. It would be... An environment where there's never enough. (laughs) Like, yeah, no shit. Like, that's what it would teach you. There's never enough love. There's never enough patience. Frequently, there's not enough money. Uh, Frequently, there's not enough uh, physical affection. There could, in fact, be not enough food, you know. And uh, the neglect could be emotional. It could be physical. But either way, there is never enough. There's never enough. And that is a feeling that children have, uh, you know, they, they've internalized it so deeply that they can't really imagine that there's other people in the world that do feel like there are enough of things. And another good thing is right around the corner, you know, and um, this is something that I, I really try to teach my own kids, because I've seen so much um, how how the scarcity mindset can really uh, cripple people. And of course, I grew up in a dysfunctional family myself, which I mention periodically. Um, but so so I had more of it too, you know there' like there's never gonna be enough like you're you're never gonna meet the right guy and you're never gonna have like a a good relationship and like i thought I thought like this all the time and i uh, I realized later in life that not everybody thinks like this, and it wasn't because like those girls were like prettier or cooler or something it's because like they had access to like constant and um calm. Parents who provided a secure base and unconditional love, you know, in a way that people who grew up in dysfunctional families don't have. So, um, I, for example, growing up as a teenager, would think, Oh, I have to get a boyfriend. I have to get a boyfriend. If I don't, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be the only one without a boyfriend, you know, and girls who look just the same as me, or, you know, um, Worse, even you know, could have been like, oh, it'll it'll happen. You know, it'll happen as Mom and Dad says. You know, I'll meet somebody. They didn't meet each other until they were in college, or like whatever the fuck their you know functional happy Mom and Dad said. (laughs) You know, so I really tried to inculcate that in my kids and be like with everything. Like, you know what? Another good thing is just around the corner. You know, like if this friend isn't friends with you, other friends will come along. You know, if this boy doesn't like you back, another boy will, etc et cetera. Cause it's something that I never heard, you know, because my parents were super anxious. They didn't think like that. And they certainly did not provide a kind of secure, calm home environment in which such a thing could ever be, um, really even envision such a, a philosophy so the people with a scarcity mindset felt that they never got enough their parents were also extremely negative anxious rigid people likely that um constantly narrated these stories where they were getting the short end of the stick so i've talked about this before in terms of dysfunctional families where the parent is always like they they um have these real like biblical stories almost not not um you know, definitionally biblical, but it's always like a victim and a perpetrator, David and Goliath. And I, my favorite example is the bank. I went to the bank today. You know what they told me? They said they didn't have change. You know what I said to them? And you know I ended up getting my change when I went to the manager. Like, you you recognize this if you grew up with it. Like, there's always a bad guy. Like, a uh, like person going to the bank turns into this fucking David versus Goliath tale of, like, woe. And if that's what you grow up listening to, and then, of course, you see your parents fighting like animals. And then you see everybody in your house is fighting because it goes down from how the parents act to how the kids and siblings act, then you think, my God, the world is this dog-eat-dog place. There's never enough resources. People are out to get you at every turn. I really have to be quite savvy and scrappy to survive. Whereas people that are have ex- exactly your same skill set, exactly your same looks, exactly your same intelligence level, right, they think, oh, good shit's going to happen to me. Good stuff happens, you know, happens all the time, you know. So I don't have this opportunity, I'll get another one. That girl didn't like me. Oh, well, you know, another one will. And while um, another thing that's very interesting is, of course, who do you think writes all the rock songs? Emo, used to be called alternative, anxious, depressed people, right? I mean, these are our artists. So when you're a ch- uh, like a young woman or man and you're listening to these love songs on the radio, you think, oh my God, everybody does want to kill themselves when their relationship works out. But the functional people are like, oh, that's radio. <laughs> that's songs. Songs are different, you know, than real life. And this is an interesting thing that I didn't realize until, you know, beyond the time when it was shaping my ideology, of course, in concert with my upbringing, is that other people with more functional relationship um, uh, uh, upbringings do not think that like a Nirvana song like replicates how you're supposed to think about the world, <laughs> you know. And so um, when you're a teenager and you're developing your theories about the world and your your hormones are turning on and then you're hearing these songs and your parents are acting like lunatics. Yeah, everything seems very free. Brought, you know, And so within that context, one rejection can feel extraordinarily overwhelming and overly personal and like you'll never get over it and you need to figure out an entire different way of being so that that never happens again. And you don't think... Boy, I would think totally differently if I was my friend Jimmy, whose parents seem to hug each other. You know, then I wouldn't think about this as like the end of the universe like I do. Uh, This girl didn't want to go to prom with me or what have you. So, anyhow, so when people move into adulthood with their scarcity mindset, scarcity mindset, sorry, they also do this with jobs where they're always seeing, like, I I just did a podcast on toxic workplaces, you know, these are the people who see toxicity everywhere, and people are out to get them, and they gotta be, you know, valiant and scrappy to impress the boss, and just, like, all this crazy dramatic shit that, like, is a function of your lens through which you view the world, which was internalized at a very young age by exactly what you observed around you, it isn't reality. You know, and then of course, unfailingly, if you think this way about the world, that everything is negative and nobody really will ever love you and you have to fight your hardest to get your tiny little scrap of the pie, then who do you end up marrying? Somebody who doesn't really like you that much. That's confirmation bias. So somebody who is not deeply in love with you, therefore does not sacrifice much for you and is kind of selfish. And you know, probably Honestly, you didn't like them much either because you felt that you had to settle. And so you settled. They probably settled. Like goes to like, as I always talk about, assortative mating. Insecure attachment goes to insecure attachment. And so you end up in a bad marriage, which replicates more than you'd like to think of your parents. And then you you conclude, well, look, happened to my parents, happened in my marriage, and now I I see truly that the world is a shithole. No, no. All it means is that you did not really work on truly objectively understanding. Understanding that you are co-creating currently a similar environment to the one that you grew up in because you have no alternate template and have not done enough work to understand all of the assumptions and all of the expectations that you have due to the way that you were raised. So in these situations, for example, a man will um, assume That his wife is um, not really going to be that kind to him so he will act in defensive and self-protective ways it may be sarcastic may be cold something like that which then of course ensures that she won't be very nice and open with him because he's not being very nice and open she will not be vulnerable because he's not being vulnerable and on her end it's likely the exact same story both of these people in theory could be uh, cured or helped by being with somebody who is more secure and healthy but such people would not be drawn to them and nor would they be drawn to such people because those people would not confirm their subconscious view about the world. And it's extremely uncomfortable to experience cognitive dissonance. So when people learn a way of viewing the world, they tend to act in ways that make that confirmation come true again and again and again in something called reenactment. So if you are somebody who has this kind of competitive, defensive, uh, kind of um, scrappy, survivalist perspective on relationships that, that you may tell yourself is is rational, or I mean, you know, obviously, even economics are rational. I mean, we are, we are not rational actors. You know, the markets are not rational. But the, the, the point is here is in reality, it likely goes back far into your family of origin and with different. Um, ways of viewing the world you could go back and be like oh very similar experiences identical experiences when perceived by somebody that did not have my dysfunctional family would have been thought not to have been so horrible and to have you know shaped everything so for example I ask a girl out to prom and she says no if I saw a loving marriage at home, I would have been like, guess she didn't like me. Well, that's sad. I guess maybe I'll ask somebody else. But of course, the way that I was trained to view things, it was just yet another humiliation. Somehow she led me on to think she would go with me, but she didn't. And this shit always happens to me because it happens to everybody. And this is just garbage. And I have to make sure that I never put myself in such a humiliating circumstance again by X, Y, or Z. Or like all, all the women, similarly, um, they don't use scarcity. I can't talk today. They don't use scarcity mindset, but they'll say all men are assholes. All men are not assholes, let's be reasonable. As soon as they have a son, by the way, they already are like, oh, except for him. <laughs> but um, if all men are assholes, I mean, how are there so many nice, kind men in, in the world who you can see around you if you take off that lens that you can see the world through because, honestly, your father is probably an asshole. No fault of his own. He probably got beaten as a child. This is the story that I hear constantly. But the, the point being that the women who say all guys are assholes and they're for I guess I had to settle for this one that kind of treats me like shit that isn't real. There would have been plenty of guys had you waited a little longer, done more work on yourself, uh, been more pleasant, been less anxious, been less depressive, been less negative about men, etc. etc. There would have been plenty of healthy men had you done that internal work, grown up in a healthy home, etc. that you could have met, then had a healthy relationship with. But because you are picking what you know, yes, everybody that you're going to be with is going to be an asshole. and until you truly understand the strength of this lens through which people view things and how it can make everything seem different than it is, then truly you will still think that everything is scarce, resources are limited, I will I have to, you know, beat out everyone else to win instead of being like, oh there's lots of nice women slash men in the world I'm gonna work on myself I'm gonna find one you know that I'm going to be open and kind and honest and real and they're gonna be the same and that is how things work and if I would have grown up in a different house I would know that so I am gonna do the work of reparenting myself going to therapy thinking deeply about these things exploring alternate lenses through which to view the world and saying to myself you know what If I grew up in a different house, I didn't. But if I did, I would know to say to myself, things work out. You'll be okay. She's probably having a bad day. It's not you, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to have to learn that stuff like a whole second language. And that's not fair. But then again, you know. It it is certainly better than sitting around saying it's not fair would be to learn different and more adaptive viewpoints, which therapists can help you with. That's one of the big things therapists can help you with is what is normal? What is a healthy way to respond to this situation? If I feel humiliated in the context of of a childhood that was constantly humiliating, Should I feel humiliated? Would other people feel humiliated or is this a leftover from my upbringing? Would other people feel scarcity and not enough right now or is this a hallmark of my upbringing that I can learn to reframe and to see this situation a lot more objectively? So anyway, I hope this was useful about scarcity mindset, but it obviously delved into the larger idea of that how we are raised shapes us in, in myriad ways that we don't even really understand until we start the deep work of trying to parse it out and seeing at any moment everything that you think is colored by how you were raised. If you were raised in an anxious home, if you were raised in a depressed home, if you were raised in a chaotic, volatile home with substance abusers, oh, in an unpredictable home, in an angry home, this is always going to influence the lens through which you view the world unless you specifically try to do the deep work of removing this lens, looking at it for what it is, understanding the root causes of it, and trying on alternate viewpoints until you get to ones which actually help you in the world instead of making you feel alone and angry and, um, like, like a victim. All right. Talk to y'all soon. Hope this was useful. Please do subscribe. Follow me on TikTok. (laughs) Bye-bye.